Thank you. Um, good morning. I'm really glad to be here today. I've been here once a long time ago when I was with the uh, Youth for Christ, but I, I have Dutch, I'm an Italian Dutchman, and I grew up in a Reformed church in America when it was still uh, conservative, and uh, never understood conservative or anything else until I, uh, I, I went to, to Mississippi in 1970 and understood what it meant to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And my wife and I, both within two months, had come to Christ in faith, acknowledged him as our Lord and Savior. But my Dutch roots were, were precious to me. And, I, and, and, and Kathy had some Presbyterian roots, and she learned Bible and stuff. So, so I think we're well prepared to come to you and bring a, a message from the Lord's and. Uh, I'm honored and pleased that you would let me preach to you. We welcome you if you're here today. Uh, it's good for the God's people to come together. And if you're looking or visiting, then please um, leave behind a way that we can contact you. Um, uh, I don't know the process, but we have people in the back of the room that will be glad to help you do that. But we'd like to be able to acknowledge your visit. And I, I have to tell you beforehand that Jacob and I did not talk about what I was going to talk about today. So all the stuff in your program or bulletin here, or whatever you call it, is independent of what I'm going to say as far as beforehand. And I think he, he'll be as astounded as, as, as I was when I looked at what Jacob had sent to me and, and with respect to what I'm going to tell you. So I think this message is from the Lord. I'm really comfortable with that. Let us worship the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my kingdom King on Zion, my holy hill. Let us pray. Almighty God, your word tells us that you are with us 
at every moment of our lives. You've been with us at every moment of our lives. And we gather together this morning as your people, eager to worship you, to express our love for you as we respond to your loving kindness for us. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing now hymn uh, 292 in your hymnal. Let all mortal flesh keep silence.
to Exodus 24. We're going to be reading from verses 12 through 14, 24, 12 to 14. Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let them approach them. You may be seated. Our, um, our, our church has a system of theology and it's canonized, not canonized, but it's placed in our confessions of faith. And uh, this one is particularly appropriate. God does not owe this grace to anyone. For what could God owe to one who has nothing to give that can be paid back? Indeed, what could God owe to one who has nothing of his own to give but sin and falsehood? Therefore, the person who receives this grace and owes and gives eternal thanks to God alone, the person who does not receive it either does not care at all about spiritual things and is satisfied with himself in his condition, or else in self-assurance foolishly boasts about having something which he lacks. Furthermore, Following the example of the apostles, we are to think and to speak in the most favorable way about those who outwardly profess their faith and better their lives. For the inner chambers of the heart are unknown to us. But for others who have not yet been called, we are to pray for the God who calls things 
that do not exist. So in no way, however, are we to pride ourselves as better than they, as though we had distinguished ourselves from them. Um, do you have any particular prayer requests that you would like me to include in the pastoral prayer? All right. Let's, uh, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, our purpose our purpose in life is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. And one of the great privileges we have as followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, is to bring to you the matters of our hearts. There's, Jesus said, uh, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'll be with you. And so these prayers are offered in that understanding that somehow when we all pray together, your people pray together, um, that pleases you. And we've seen over and over again, our prayers have been answered by you. And for this, we are truly grateful. We understand it is all by your grace to us. Lord, we ask your blessing upon our church. We just read from the canons that there are many that are called or chosen but not called yet. This community is ripe for the harvest, and we pray that you would show us how we can reach out to the community in a way that will be attractive to those who are wandering, to those who are not yet found their way to your, uh, your family. We want to grow, Lord. We want those who you want to, us to, to uh, reach and, and, uh, and, and enclose in our fellowship, be discipled, and to worship together with us. Lead us to them. Lead us to having a clear call to the Lord. Father, we pray for the fellowship of our congregation. It pleases you when brothers and sisters live together in harmony, who work together to advance your kingdom, who work together to care for one another, those who have need, needed in them, and those who have much sharing them. We have been so blessed, so blessed to live in this country of, where we are free to worship you, we are free to uh, live our faith. We pray for um, 
continued blessings that we will not be um, constrained to any outside, uh, outside forces. We pray for our president, our vice president, and the leaders of our Congress and the members of our Supreme Court, that they would lead consistently with the good that's described in your word, that they would lead with wisdom to unite us as a people. We thank you for our country. We thank you for the men and women who serve in our armed forces and also for the first responders who come to our aid when we need it. We are blessed to have them. We are blessed that they maintain the peace, especially here in Kitsap County and where we live, close to home. And, and for the uh, medics, and it's, it's good for us, Lord. You have blessed us. We pray for continued blessing. Lord, we pray for our denomination. We may be relatively small, but sizes never mattered to you. What matters is whether the truth is proclaimed and whether your people take it to heart. So we pray for the preaching of your word. Lord, we pray for those who have taken their lives and dedicated them to serving you in lands far from home, bringing the gospel, the light of the gospel, to those who need to hear it. And so we pray for them, because our adversary does not want them to succeed. You do, Lord. Greater is you than, than he is in the world. Father, thank you for the word that you have given us. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth, by your word. Your word is truth. And so, as we progress through the service here, we pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts the word, the truth. Write on our hearts the truth that we, we proclaim here and take away anything that's inconsistent with your truth. We pray for Pastor Jacob and his family as they enjoy a rest. And we pray that we thank you for bringing him to us. And we appreciate all that he does to help us um, be the kinds of people that please you. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, by whom grace we have a right to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand, please, if you, if you can, um, for the scripture reading, which is from Genesis 11, 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. 
And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be supposed in the heavens. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Lord, speak to us the message you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, now I get the privilege of speaking to our little ones. So if you all come forward, I have a message for you. Thank you. I think that I mean I can't think of nothing yet. 
What do you think these are? Yes. Blueprints. Yeah, well, yeah, blueprints of what? They call them blueprints because they're blue, you see. But what is, what is this? Yes, it's their plans for the house. Their plans for the house. And when you follow the plans, you end up with someplace here ahead. Well, if you go to the end, you should see what the house looks like. See? You can't get to the finished products. You can't get to the finished house unless you have plans on how to do it. Everybody understand that? You need plans to build the house the right way. Well, I've got some really good news for you. God cares about you. He loves you. He loves you very much. And he's going to always love you. And listen to the plans he says to you. This is from the Word of God. Alright? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope, to prosper you, and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God knows who you are. He knows your hearts. He knows you, and you are very special to him, Jesus said. Let the children come to because he has planned for your life. And just remember that if you follow his plans, which are right here, you're going to be in good shape. You're going you're to grow into adults who have happy and productive lives. So I encourage you to follow the plan. That's great. God, thank you for each one of these young people. We thank you that they are here this morning. We ask that you write on their hearts a desire to know your plans for them and that they would pursue those plans with the help of your parents and this church and especially in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your attention.
Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? God's people are engaged in a life and death battle for the hearts and minds, the very souls of all humanity. The moral corruption of secular cultures worldwide is obvious to any wise person. The psalmist voices the question that God's people have been asking since Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden and prevented from returning. Why can't people just see the foolishness of their position and God's free offer of a new and better life? Why can't they see? I get this question frequently in Bible studies and in personal conversations. You may have asked it yourself. Take heart. Good news. God has a plan from all eternity to all eternity. And he has not left us in the dark about what it is. He has not left us in the dark of why there is a problem. He has not left us in the dark about his solution. Jesus said, I say to you, you are Peter. You are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This sermon has been percolating in my mind for a long time. It clicked together during a sermon on Acts 2 by my pastor, Ken Hegvet. I think he would forgive me for having written notes <laughs> during his sermon about my sermon coming up. But I've really, uh, really been percolating on this. I think you may enjoy knowing that my thinking has somewhat been shaped by my Old Testament reform, uh, professor at Reform Theological Seminary, Dr. Wilhelm van Gemmeren a Dutch scholar who read and thought in Hebrew. The doctor wrote a book, The Progress of Redemption, in which he explores God's consistent and persistent plan for the redemption of mankind from creation to New Jerusalem. I commend it to you. Our passage is classical Old Testament storytelling. Genesis contains stories about the earliest realities of creation, the failure of Adam and Eve, and how that failure propagated throughout all of mankind. It also sets the groundwork for understanding the gospel of grace. This story is about the origin of the city of Babylon and God's response to it. Now, while the Tower of Babel is part of the story, an important part of the story, the main point is not the tower. The main point is the division of humanity into two families, those who have placed or will place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and those who are committed to a secular worldview determined to find God on their own terms. It follows the restart of God's calling out of people for himself following the flood and the salvation of Noah and his family. And it takes place about 2500 BC. The story has five parts. In verse one introduces, verse one introduces the uh, problem. Verses two to four expand on the problem or explain it. Verse five is the turning point in the story. Verses six to eight explain God's response to the problem. And verse nine, it's God's final word on the topic. Let's explore it. In point one, God is never taken by surprise. Verse one, oh, man thinks he has all the answers. He refuses to recognize God is the one in control. Verse 1 states the issue. The whole earth uses the same language. In a perfect world, that wouldn't have been a problem. However, thanks to Adam and Eve, the world is no longer perfect. Although the would-be Babylonians could and should have recognized God, the designer and preserver, these descendants of Ham decided to take matters into their own hand. They got together and agreed to build a city, a walled city, which would include a tower 300 by 300 feet square at the base, with seven step stories reaching 300 feet. The highest floor of the tower was to be the residence of Marmaduke, their god. The idea was that Marmaduke could reach up into the heavens and grab God, who was reaching down from heaven. Since they had chosen to build their city on the rock-free plain of Shinar, they made bricks of plentiful clay, which they burned to harden almost as stone hard and they used sticky crude oil that seeped from the ground as mortar, which over time would become almost as strong as cement. The city decided to build this large double wall en entity designed to separate the insiders from the rest of the world, the outsiders. Remember the central theme of the story is the division of the peoples, not the tower. The name and purpose of the tower reveals their rebellious hearts and the determination that God Marmaduke could reach into heaven. The Edmontanki, in the Sumerian language they spoke, meant the house of heaven and earth. And they also named their city Babilia, which meant gate of the gods. The story's not the tower. It isn't about the bricks and tar. Look carefully about what these people said to each other. Let us 
make bricks. Let us build a city and tower. Let us make a name of for ourselves. Let us not be dispersed over the face of the earth. They fail to reckon with the fact that man proposes, but God disposes. Men and women think they're in control. They reject or disbelieve that God is. The turning point in the story is verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which is the sons of men had built. He wasn't surprised. He knew what they were doing. This is to tell you that God, the story is going to change. Will mankind ever learn? We keep asking ourselves. No, the world will never learn. While the works of God in creation, which are, are sufficient to leave them without excuse, people of the world refuse and will not recognize him. When they see the good works of Christians, they have the audacity to believe that they can do it better. And they try mightily. And sometimes they do good. And sometimes they fail miserably. When their initial reconnaissance had been completed, the Lord called a council and he said, let us, which came up with two thrusts, confusion and dispersion. Confusing the people's language made it so they could not work together. Thus, unfinished walls and not being able to communicate with one another, they would naturally group together by similarities of language. And then they would be dispersed out of the city into the world. What was the result? They stopped building the city. The outcome was the exact opposite of the reason the people were building the wall city. So the Lord scattered them abroad across the face of the earth. The Hebrew Babel is a very different one from the Sumerian Babylon. At the beginning, the Hebrews called the city confused. Thus, all that the people had set out to accomplish by their plans was countered by the Lord's response to it. However, rejoice! God has not abandoned his people to despair. He has a plan, once he one which he conceived before the creation. Here. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you 
declares the Lord. I will restore you, your heart, your fortunes, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. God's plan is to recall his people from the world and to unify them in his church. If you read down to the remainder of chapter 3, you will see the genealogy of Noah's son Shem, ending with Terah, the father of Abram. This is the Abraham with whom the Lord will make a covenant of four promises by which he commits himself to a, to a son for Abram and Sarah as the seed for Israel, a land for his people, his special unique blessing on Israel, and his blessing on other peoples through Israel. I'll add that it's not because Adam was more righteous or more competent than other men, it is solely because God decided to choose him for this important task. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now I'd like to take a look at some several prophecies. The prophet Zephaniah, in his third chapter, proclaims forgiveness and loving kindness to those who are saved by grace. Read here. But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Zephaniah proclaims that the Lord has divided in humanity into those who have or those who will come to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and those who, like the original Babylonians, substitute their own gods or reject the concept of God altogether, taking for themselves his rightful place. After the death of Solomon in 931 BC, Israel divided into Samaria and Judah, and the former was conquered by the Babylonians in 722 BC, and Judah by the Assyrians in 587 BC. In both cases, the Jewish people were dispersed throughout the the kingdoms of the conquering people. And so that's going to come back. The, the Jewish people were an influence in the cultures around them. The next step on our journey is from Ecclesiastes 36. 
For I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. That prophecy was partially fulfilled in 537, when Cyrus permitted the, the ex exiled uh, Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and reconstruct Jerusalem. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. God looks at the heart of a person, not at outward appearances. <clears throat> and because of his divine choosing, entirely be by grace, he has given his children new hearts and will give them the Holy Spirit at the right time. That spirit is God with us. The person of God who convicts a person of his or her sin and its horrible and eternal but well-deserved consequences. He who brings understanding of the, of the delivery found only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ restores our will to acknowledge faith in his, in his work of salvation and then the wisdom and will and means to carry out God's purpose for our lives. Our last prophecy is from the New Testament, found in the Gospel of John. John reports that Jesus at the Last Supper said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you, and I will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. So we conclude our exploration of God's plan in Acts 2 story of Pentecost, about how God fixes the division and confusion and dispersion that began at Babel. Acts 2 is about the baptism of the disciples by the Holy Spirit, or with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Peter was speaking in Aramaic. Those who had gathered from the many distant places and a pilgrimage to Jerusalem heard him in their native languages. By God's grace and loving kindness and persistence, they and we, his people, have been called out of the world into a better place and we have been given the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit given to every believer is operative in our salvation. It opens the scripture. He opens the scriptures to us to enable us to understand. 
He gives us a hunger for truthful worship. He enables us to pray rightly. He gifts us for the works for which he had created us. We are his workmanship, created unto good works that God has preordained that we should walk in them. We all have a job to do by his plan, his eternal plan. He puts a burden in our hearts for our works that he's called us to. He puts a burden in our hearts for seeking, sharing, gathering, and discipling the lost sheep. He comforts our souls to continuously remind us that we are firmly in God's hand and no one can separate us from the mighty grant. And he unites us. He tells us, nay, he convicts us that divisions caused by race or geographic region, by material blessings, by political preferences, language, or any falsehood that would divide us as brothers and sisters, members of God's family, have no place in his church. Finally, the curse of Babel has been overcome by God's grace. His people have been debabbled, no longer confused, no longer divided. We are one. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, as we contemplate the fact that your plan conceived before time began and is in process right now is perfect. You want us to know that plan. We want us to know that we are we believe in that plan and we are thankful for your loving kindness and goodness to us. Help us to take these words and these truths to heart. We pray in earnest, Lord, that, that we would have a burden for this community, that we go out and seek and find the lost ones, and that we would have a burden for each other, that we would care for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Respond with hymn number 525, Like a Shepherd Lead Us. If, if you're able, please stand.
receive God's benediction. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together the Gloria Patra. Thank you for coming this morning. Yeah.